What is up, everyone? Golden Edge podcast time. And we are here. You might be able to hear a little bit of background noise. We are not in the studio. We are out and about here at City National Arena inside McKinsey River Pizza. A great, great spot looking out over the practice rink of the Golden Knights as we get ready to talk about everything going on in that world. Thank you guys for listening. If you like the podcast or even if you don't, give us a comment, a share, a like, anything that indicates that you're listening and checking us out wherever you find your podcast. We appreciate that as always. Rising up the ranks in the podcasting world. I think we're like number seven in the entire world of all podcasts. I don't Slowly know. Slowly but surely. We're, we're hard charging here. Numbers are unofficial. I am Adam Hill. That has been Goats. Dave Shane here with us. Becoming more and more of a regular in the podcast. Thank you, sir. Oh, it helps when they're not on the road all the time like they were in the first half of the season, that, right? That is true. And uh, right now, they're in a very weird spot. They're in the middle of a road trip, but they're home, which is very odd. Yeah, you don't true. see this the, very often. Four game break. I guess we can talk about that later. But yeah, it's a it's a weird setup this week. I know I spent uh, a couple days in uh, Canada and then come back. I was worried about whether I was going to have to like go to Dallas and hang out there for yeah. a few days. But yeah, they're here uh, practicing and they head out Thursday. So you know, guess good for them. There you go. And uh, they'll be playing Dallas. So if you want to check out what Dave writes from down in Dallas. Definitely do that at ReviewJournal.com. Check us out all the time for all of your Golden Knights news and notes around this team. And let's jump right into it because it is, it's it's a weird time of the year. This is a fun time of the season. It's down the stretch. There's people fighting for playoff positioning, you know, fighting for seeding, who's going to get in, who's going to be out. But here in Golden Knights world, really none of that is happening. In, in the games, I mean... There's an outside shot they check, they catch one of the teams in front of them, not very likely. There's an outside shot they get caught by by Arizona, not very likely. It is just kind of dragging on right now. We've talked about this for a while. It feels like it's time for the regular season to end, Ben. It definitely does to me, and I don't know how fans are feeling. Maybe fans have a different perspective on this. But I think what really crystallized that for me was the game against the Calgary Flames last week at Team Oval Arena, where it was a really fun game, obviously close, 2-1 Golden Knights win really good atmosphere in the rink and so i was just like yeah i'm ready for you know potentially seven games of this i'm ready for this to be in a series that really matters i've kind of seen all i need to see from these two teams in the regular season now i want to see it for real uh in go time in the postseason and so that's where i'm kind of at right now but i don't know maybe i'm a, a little weird no, i think you're right and dave i'll get your take on where you feel about this how much how much are you feeling the same thing, and how much do you think it is the fact that they're not fighting for anything right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I as far as the Calgary stuff, I mean, I think they did a really good job of kind of setting it up. You know, th- there's been kind of this buildup. There was a lot of chirping with uh, Matthew Kachuk. I would love, love for Vegas to have a series with Matthew Kachuk <laughs> Speak for in, yourself. In, involved in it. It'd make our jobs very easy. Well, like, I, okay, I mean, we can talk about the travel to Calgary yeah. and. And what a wonderful place it is and all those sorts of things. But just for as a neutral, as a, if I was going to step back and just want to watch a series with Ryan Reeves and Kachuk and some of the characters that, that could be involved in this series, I'm in. I'm in. Uh, but I'll also say this. The Knights have two games coming up with San Jose. And depending on what happens with that, I mean, we could do a complete 180 and go, yeah. no, no, give me San Jose. Like, well, going, right, into, right I mean, going into the year, that was the matchup everybody wanted, you know, around here just for storyline. I mean, I don't think anybody's clamoring to, to have to play San Jose right now, uh, but 
you know, as far as the storyline going into the season, it was, well, the Golden Knights were going after Carlson, the Sharks got him, there was already a playoff series between them, there's already animosity and burns. Before the year, that was that was what it was. And now I think it's to a point of it's Calgary, but that's just because they just played them, they've been a high-flying team. But I think when you look at it, if you're – listen, I know I've talked about it before. I don't have – I don't care, you know, the outcomes, those sort of things we're covering and we're neutral – I want to go to San Jose because San Jose is a better place to be than Calgary is. That's it's pure and simple. That's it. But I think from a hockey perspective, I think fans and the Golden Knights, if they were to be honest, would tell you they want to play Calgary. It's a it's a more winnable series. I think it's a more fun series for fans. Uh, I think there's more question marks for Calgary. I think that's the matchup the team would want and the fans would want at this point, right, Ben? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, there's major questions in goal in Calgary in David Riddich and Mike Smith both of whom has had some adventures, we'll say, playing the puck behind the net especially. Yeah. Um, but I just think that would be a super fun series. We mentioned Kachuk. They've got Johnny Gaudreau, this like 5'9", you know, firepower star that I would be very interested to see how he plays in a playoff series if things get a little bit more physical, if the Golden Knights are allowed to get a little bit more rough with him. And I guess that's what got me so excited. And I don't think I'm excited for the postseason just because necessarily they played Calgary recently. It's just because I saw what a playoff series could be like. You know, like I said, where it was at T-Mobile Arena, 2-1 game, close a lot of the way. Pretty physical, pretty intense game. And so I'm just ready for that level of a matchup to happen at this point because I think we all know, as we've talked about for, like we said, weeks now, we know the Golden Knights are going to be in the postseason. For this team specifically, there's not a whole lot to prove right now these last 12 games. There's some things they can tweak. There's some things they can improve on. But I don't think my overall outlook on the Golden Knights is going to change a lot from now until the beginning of April. So I'm kind of ready for them to play. Like I said, it's going to be either Calgary or San Jose. Yeah, and, you know, I don't know how much the thought changed, you know, based on these games. I mean, going into them, I think we've kind of been saying the same things. I think we saw a lot of what we were talking about in these games. Uh, It changed, again, it changed the perception of what that series could be uh, from, you know, maybe a... Uh, a storyline standpoint, but I think Calgary kind of is what people thought they were. And after seeing the two games, I I think we're kind of in the same place we were before seeing those games, right, Dave? Yeah, to a large extent. Uh, I think I have the same questions. Um, maybe they were even intensified despite the score uh, of that game. Um, in terms of Calgary, uh, that that second line I thought was very effective. I think the Knights would have things going forward that they have to figure out because I thought they did a really good job on the first line despite Johnny Gaudreau having like nine shots on goal or something like that. It was an absurd number that he put up. Um, but I'll say this, and and maybe I'll put on my Knights homer hat a little bit here. Um, the two games up there, both of them on the back end of a back-to-back, both games started by Malcolm Subban. Um, Calgary was kind of waiting for him on Sunday. You know, not, I guess, you know, we're in Vegas, so I'll use this term. It's it's not the best spot, you know, for them either of those times up there. So, yeah, you look at it 7-2 and 6-3 and you go, oh, I don't know if they can win a game up there and all these things like that. But I think it would be interesting to see them with Marc-Andre Fleury in the net. You know, maybe he makes one or two more of those saves uh, in, in that that Sunday game, maybe, you know, things would be a little bit different if if he's in the net. I don't know. 
Yeah, um, what's been fascinating to me is just the dichotomy of that of when Flurry has started against the Calgary Flames because when Flurry has been in net and both games have been at T-Mobile Arena, they've shut out the Flames and won 2 nothing, and then they just won 2-1 at T-Mobile Arena this past week. So they've been very different games at T-Mobile versus up in Calgary. Yeah, I, I was very surprised on how they kind of, I guess, broke down uh, the games over the weekend and in terms of the assignments. Um, I don't know how much everything with Flurry's wife complicated things. I don't know exactly the timeline on that and, and when it popped up. But when I asked Gerard Gallant if it was the plan all along for Malcolm Subban to start against Calgary, he said yes. So, Do you think Subban asked for that? I, you know, I don't know. And I, that was another question I asked, for, asked specifically of Subban was how badly he wanted that start. And, you know, you know Mal- Malcolm is not necessarily the... Uh, the liveliest. He's not quote. a gregarious fellow. Well, he he's very careful in his words. I'll, I'll, I'll say like that. So he, you know, he gave a little bit of a roundabout answer in, in terms of that. But but clearly he wanted to, you know, to make a statement and and you know maybe redeem himself a little bit from November. Um, but I just think, you know, I th- I I, th- I just think it would be interesting. You know, there's there's so many there's so many elements to that series that we kind of saw. Um, I think the depth of the Knights in that third line, I thought they were very effective. I think that could be a factor. You know, I, I mean, we can talk about all these all, all these things. My mind is like going into like 30 different directions right now and, and how Calgary reminded me of Denver and all these weird things like that. But, but Calgary reminded you of Denver it, as a city? Yeah. yeah that, it, I, I will not stand for this. Well, <laughs> I will. That's insane. Denver is a an amazing town that has a lot of things to do. Calgary is Calgary. I thought, I thought Calgary was nice. I'm kind of I excited was, to check it out if we get to uh, that opportunity. It was kind of quaint. It was, okay. it was, it well, was, there is so much pressure on you now if this playoff series materializes that you have to show us these these great hot spots in oh, Calgary. Wait, wait, wait. No, I didn't say great hot spots. I you just said, said it's like rem- Denver. Denver's said, an amazing city. I said it reminded me. It's like spread out and kind of flat. Well, yeah. I, I don't yeah. know that you have been to Denver. I For some <laughs> reason, I think you maybe have landed at the airport. You're like, I'm in Denver. I don't think that's the case. I, I am not going to stand for this. Listen, give send us feedback on this if you're listening. Tweet at, D- at Dave and myself. Uh, I I can't. I'm not going to accept this. I, I stand for lots on this podcast of you know opinions and wackiness. I'm not going to stand for Calgary reminds you of Denver. That that's where I draw. We're, we're going to start like this like city like chamber of commerce war yeah. between these two yes. cities now. Calgary stinks. It's actually pleasantly surprised with Calgary, I have to say. You know what? Uh, the thing that ruined it is because Calgary, Calgary, Calgary was fine. I'm not. I'm actually kidding. I'm trying to be entertaining. That's what we do here. But I, I think there's a much more likely chance that we'll be in Calgary at the end of the year. But you, you mentioned uh, the third line and being a little bit more, you know, more explosive, creating more chances with Alex Tuck there, and that is largely because Mark Stone is around. We've talked a lot about Mark Stone already. Uh, but Ben, it's somebody the Golden Knights are going to want to get. Golden Knights fans are going to want to get used to. He's going to be here for a long time. Yeah, he finally uh, signed his contract extension. They announced that on Friday. Seventy-six million dollars total, nine and a half million dollars average annual value over eight years. He will be tied for the twelfth highest cap hit in the NHL next season. So, the Golden Knights paid a lot to keep this guy here long term. And I think he's started to show exactly why he's worth that. He's been a great two-way presence. He's finally scored his first goal as a Golden Knight. He has two now. Uh, he even started creating scoring chances. And I think the 
most interesting play for me for him recently is in that Calgary game. It wasn't the goal that he scored. It was the play that he made in front of the Calgary net where he just stuck his stick out, created a turnover, and then created a scoring chance basically out of nothing for, I believe, Max Pacioretty, who got a shot on goal there. And that's the kind of thing that he can bring to this team, that two-way play where just out of nowhere he'll get a turnover, start a transition opportunity the other way, and that's why he's going to make a lot of money for the foreseeable future. Have you seen enough... Dave in Mark Stone since he got here to to think there's you know it's absolute slam dunk this is a guy you want to lock up and have around as your kind of cornerstone for the next uh, you know decade essentially yeah yeah I, I, I you can probably hear it in my voice that I'm not like over you know exuberant about it there's a little bit of hes- hesitance um, it's a big hit where, where I say yes and, and where I love it is you look at his stats and you, you look at what he's done so far in his play, and he is absolutely consistent. He, you know exactly what you're going to get from him. He has been, you know, 60 plus points, you know, pushing towards 65, 70, 30 goals. And, you know, he, he's shown consistently he's going to do that. I'm always a big believer in if you know exactly what you got in something, you know, that's a good thing. Lock it up. Um, sometimes the mystery in a player you get. You know, enticed with potential and and all these sorts of things, and they don't live up to it. You know exactly what Mark's gonna Mark Stone is gonna give you. So from that standpoint, I love it. The one thing that that I have seen from him that I that I wonder a little bit is maybe how much more he's got to give if he's pretty much at his ceiling right now. That's not a bad ceiling to be at because if you're getting 65, 70 points, 30 goals, whatever, you know, you're in a good spot. But I don't know that he's going to, you know, develop in a year or two into like an 85, 90, you know, pushing like a 100 point type guy. And I wonder if at some point is balanced and all these sorts of things that, that the Golden Knights are and have thrived with. If they need somebody that's a game breaker, if they need somebody that's going to be that 85, 90, you know, 100 point guy that they can put on a power play and say, OK, we know when this guy's on the ice, so we're going to be clicking at 25 plus percent. We're going to be in the top 10 on a power play. We're going to be in the top, you know, five in goals scored and things like that. They've done it with balance. It's worked. But I just wonder at some point if you're going to win a cup and you're going to talk about all those sorts of things, if you, you need an elite guy somewhere along the way in that lineup. And as good as Mark Stone is, I don't know if he's you know, let's just say the 12th best player in the league if he's got the 12th biggest cap hit. Yeah, I think that's what's interesting about him is that I think the same thing that will keep him consistent potentially over the life of this contract is the same thing as to why he won't potentially be a game breaker, and that's his skating. He is not an overly fast guy. He's not reliant on his skating or his speed to generate offense or, you know, create turnovers like we've talked about. And that's one reason why if you're George McPhee, you're probably okay with giving him that eight-year deal because you're not as worried about, hey, if he loses a step, he's going to fall off What if he does? I mean, can he lose a step? I think like he's not an overly fast skater now, and he gets by, I think. And he's talked uh, about this, that he's had to build his other skills to basically compensate for that lack of speed. And so I think you know his skating is not a huge part of his game or a huge reason why he's successful. And so that's why, like I said, you're not as worried about 
the drop off whereas potentially guys like William Carlson who are so so fast and if he loses a couple steps maybe he's not that same player or he has to change the way he plays yeah. and you're not worried about that with Mark Stone but that's also why potentially if that skating's not going to get better that might prevent him from taking the next step and being a 90 100 point guy yeah and George McPhee kind of talked about that last year in terms of you know guys as they get older and things like that and certain guys that rely on speed obviously when they lose a step it changes their game entirely whereas the guys that have never relied on it if they lose a step they still you know have the hockey iq and things like that there ed I, i'm gonna butcher his name ed Duhacek, i think um from calgary uh asked a really what i thought was a really great question to uh shea theodore and jonathan march so up there and it was basically how do you measure or quantify hockey iq that it's such a broad kind of term and i think you hit on it a little bit ben with the stick and being in the right place with mark stone and just understanding look i'm I'm not going to necessarily get to the same spot that, you know, player X or player Y that's a better skater is. So how can I work around that? And, you know, why he's as good as he is, is is, is mine. And he knows how to work around it. The one thing I will say about his skating after watching him a little bit is that I think it looks worse probably than it is. He's obviously got some limitations. The explosiveness, like the first couple steps, you know, trying to like get out of the zone, things like that. But when he gets going, he's a big, long guy. He's six four, and he he covers ground. It's not pretty, but it's yeah. effective. Yeah, it gets he gets where he needs to get to. I mean, I'm sure, obviously, he would, you know, love to go to, you know, Laura Stam power skating or you know any of these other, you know, <laughs> things like that, and become a better skater. But free free advertisement for Laura Stam if she still does her power skating school. <laughs> Um, but all things being equal, I think you know he, he's he, not made up for it, but but compensated for it, and and it's it's better than I think people maybe give him a little credit for. It. And you know he's probably a little bit of self-deprecating, you know, at this point because you know. Well, it's it's easy to be when you've had so much success. And like when I'm sure made, early yeah, in his you career, cash in nine and a half million bucks. Yeah. You know, early in his career, you probably heard so much about it. And it's probably it probably did. I, I you know, we weren't around him. We don't know it. it probably Before did his career affect. even started, actually, he yeah. mentioned to me uh, since I was 12 years old. Yeah. People have been telling me I can't well, skate. I, I mean, one of the first questions I had to a couple of folks was, "How was he a sixth round pick?" Yeah, he was I like, mean, I believe the 178th pick overall in the 2010 yeah, draft. I, I, 177 I mean, guys it, went before, and him it in wasn't that draft. because he wasn't scoring in juniors, and you know, he was a captain and ran in and scoring and doing all those sorts of things. And it was like, well, what the heck is holding them back? What what did they not like? Because you watch his game, and it, if you put on a scouting eye, you're like, God, you know, I'd love him, but clearly, you know, if you're looking at 18 year old kids and you go, well, I don't know about the skating. I guess it would make sense, yeah. But you know, like you just mentioned a minute ago, he's you know he's laughing all the way to the bank. Oh yeah, it's it's very easy now to be like, haha, can't skate. Look how much money I'm making now. Nine point five million AAV, seventy six million dollar total deal, and he'll be around a long time. But the the question does become, what? How does this affect what they can do going forward? And you know, you mentioned it's a big cap hit. It's a guy, you know, I'm sure they're happy to have him and locked into the lineup long term, but. It does impact future decisions. So, uh, how costly will this be toward to their offseason plans? I think it's going to take some maneuvering on George McPhee and 
his guy is, is he referred guy. to him yeah his cap guy is he referred Which to him not a guy just, it's him in the mirror yeah I think. yeah well it's andrew lugener uh i'm probably ripping his last name apart also so i apologize for that um i think they can maneuver a little bit they have on my spreadsheet it was like 5.8 almost 6 million um of wiggle room once you kind of figure in Clarkson going on long-term injured reserve and kind of how that affects how much they can go over what would be projected as an $83 million cap. So they have a little bit of room. It's not impossible. Um, what will be interesting to me is not so much like the decision on William Carlson because I think that kind of takes care of itself in a lot of ways, whether it's through arbitration or whether they actually like get a long-term deal done. Uh, but more so the guys like Belmer, um, and whether they like resign him, because if you resign him, then you go okay. Well, we've got Halleback and Tuck, and you know maybe our third line is set, and maybe Eakin is a guy that you know you have to move his salary. I don't know, um, or maybe you look at defense and you go, we gotta have a spot for Nick Hague. He's forced his way in here. Um, Maybe somebody wants Colin Miller, or maybe somebody wants one year of Nick Holden. He's the odd man out, right? Right, now. right. You know, so there's some things that they can do. I don't think they're handcuffed, like you know, to use George McPhee's term or hamstrung. Um, I don't remember which one he used, but uh, I think they have to be a little creative. But I think in this day and age, that's kind of what it takes to be a good team. Um, you look at Tampa, you look at like Winnipeg and, and some of these other teams. When you draft well and you develop well, these are kind of the issues you're going to have. Toronto, obviously, with you know Marner and, and some of those folks, you know that that it's kind of where you want to be. It's it's better than the alternative. That's that's for sure. We've uh, we've seen Stone impact certainly his line, but uh, the third line as well. And we we mentioned how much uh, they've been better. Uh, the first line is I think playing better. Jar Gallant this morning said he thought that the the line was playing better. Uh, I think Dave, you said much so believes they're just getting rewarded for their work, not necessarily playing that much better. Uh, but the second line right now does kind of appear to be their first line. Yeah, they're actually, I mean, for the most part, they're playing like their first line. Five of the past six games, the quote-unquote second line of Stone, Pacioretty, and Stasny has gotten more ice time five-on-five five than that, you know, quote-unquote first line of Riley Smith, Jonathan Marshall, and William Carlson. Now that changed last game in Calgary. That was the first time since Stone has joined the Golden Knights that that first line has gotten more five-on-five ice time than the second line. But, I mean, if you're the Knights, I think this is a good problem to have. You have competitive lines that are trying to get ice time from each other, and Gerard Gallant mentioned that this morning. It's a good thing to have healthy competition within your own locker room of guys want to play well so that at the end of the game, they're the ones getting that extra shift. They're the one that's going to be on the ice, you know, trying to kill the last couple minutes of the game or score you know a game winning goal at the end of the game and that's kind of what they want and guys have mentioned all across the locker room we're rolling four lines right now and that's why we're being successful what i love about it right now especially if i was jar galant is the options that he has and you figure okay at some point and we heard you know not this week but william carrier is getting closer um so you figure he's going to be in the mix and your top six is pretty much set. You're rolling with that. 
your third line and your fourth line, you can kind of at least two-thirds of the third line and probably two-thirds of the fourth line are pretty much locked in. But then at that point, you've kind of got some options and you can do some different things, which as a coach I would love. You've got you know, a guy like Peary who you know, can score some goals and you could put him on a third line. And now all of a sudden you've got a third line that can go out and be a threat offensively against people. You know, you've got Tuck and, and Eakin and, and Peary and you know, clearly they, they scored a goal uh, in Calgary. Um, they were threatening, you know, all weekend. Um, I think Alex Tuck, especially on that line, has been huge. Um, just giving them a threat. I mean, he's not a third-line guy. And to have him down there, you know, that effective, it just makes them so much deeper. But, you know, Carpenter is a different player than Carrier. You can, you can look at a matchup if you're going against the Sharks or if you're going against the Flames, whoever it might be, and go, look, we want to go bang them. Let's get Carrier in the lineup. You know, or... You know, maybe defensively we need to you know lock them down whatever maybe you want carpenter in the lineup um they just have so much more flexibility right now that that if i was the coach and you know and, the, and up in you know general manager uh you know crow's nest and things like that i, I would be smiling i'd feel pretty good about where they're at with that you're uh, pointing over to where <laughs> where, yeah. where yeah, he watches that, practice from. Yes, over there. He was watching corner. a lot today. It was uh, interesting to see him not paying attention to a staff meeting behind him with Kerry Bubolts because he was just watching practice. Or not on his phone, like orchestrating yeah. a trade or something. So as, as we are referencing, we are here uh, at Cedar National inside McKinsey River Pizza. But uh, just before we sat down to record this, uh, we talked a lot about forwards, but we did get a chance to sit down with Nate Schmidt, one of the defensemen. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about the defense. But first, let's hear what Nate Schmidt had to say. I actually uh, I started off just saying, just very simply, just where is the team's game right now? Whoa! I love the hard hitters to start yeah. off. I like it. Um, I, like, uh, I like a lot of our game right now. I think that... Uh, you know, there are a lot of things that we've done over the last two weeks that you're happy with how you how you play, how you respond to games. I uh, don't like that sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot either by starting slow or having to battle back or you battle back and then you give yourself a, um, you know, you battle back and you take a couple penalties in the last game and you put yourself in a hole and then you're having to climb out of it. It's, it's hard. It's hard to chase teams down after you've, you've already came back, give up the lead again. It's, so I think that's something that needs to be a little bit better here. Just it's more of a mental thing, but uh, the speed that we're playing with, the way that our you know, like the way that our D have been playing you know, outside of last game, right? Yeah, I think that we just we've had a lot of a lot more getting the puck up ice, a lot less time. On, I'm a big proponent of you know, coach ecologist always tell me get the puck to a skill guy. It's like, get the puck up to the forwards, let them do their thing, right? And get it out of our hands and be the next wave, because that's that's how you're successful as a defenseman. So I thought we've been doing that pretty well. I mean, you see, you know, when you get Shea and Colin and myself to be skating and get that, and get that puck up the ice, that's when we're on our best. Does the, does the stone bounce kind of feel like the Nate Schmidt bounce? Ah, hey, all right. Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, I don't really know what he's feeling, but I, I don't know that I... You feel a guy that comes in, he comes in with a great pedigree, right? You know what kind of player he is in the league. I mean, at least when I, you know, when I played against him in the East, you know, you knew, I knew who he was. He's a hell of a player. And I think uh, he just gave our guys a lot of confidence. Uh, just like the way he'd come in, he was making plays. He wasn't thinking twice about it. And that's 
that's when you play your best hockey. And I think that allowed other guys to kind of come in and do the same thing. And it's contagious, right? It's contagious when guys are coming in and they're, and they're making plays and you want to make plays and you have to accomplish it. That guy's making it. I can go out and make those plays. It's, it kind of spreads throughout your lineup in a, in a very positive way. Um, and I think that's been incredibly helpful to our group. And just knowing that you got him and you know that we're going for it. you got to go for it this time of year. It's, you get a guy like him in your roster, that's it's a hell of an addition. These next 12 games, how much is it about just getting where you want to be for the playoffs? Like getting the team right? And can you can you use these games? Or is it not you can you not simulate what it's gonna be like in the playoffs? You can never simulate, but you can you can get close as to how your preparation. That's about being a pro. That's about you know, and understanding what the role is in the game and what what your role is the rest of the year, right? I think you can, me, I'm always a big proponent of you're never going to be able to turn things. Guys that used to say, you know, once playoffs start, I'm going to be able to turn it on. And I've never really been a guy that's believed that. I think it's, it's again, the playoff time, you, you kind of shut your brain out. I know we've talked about it a little bit before. You just let your body take over. Your habits are the ones that are going to take over. The things you've done all year are what you're going to do when it comes down to crunch time, when, the, when you're tired or when you're... When you're, uh, you know, things are happening faster. It's, it's those, those instincts. Those things are going to take over. Not being able to turn it on. So I think that's really important with this next stretch here. Where is the confidence level right now compared to where it was at this time last year? I mean, you, you have that run that you made to fall back on. So like, even though maybe you're not in first place or not the same in the standings, you do know what you can do in the playoffs. So where are you guys at right now? Yeah, I think we're we're close. I think we're close to. You know, last year it was, it was tough. We were just playing without his money all year. We were just having fun with it. This year, again, it just, just got, it comes uh, with the territory. A little bit more expectations. Guys have a little more pressure on them. You know, I know that I, mean, I, I always try and keep the same amount of pressure on myself just no matter what game it is or what time of the year because, you know, I, I really take a lot of pride in, in playing well defensively. So I hope that that's a similar feeling throughout our room, especially I know that it's not one of those things you're staring at the standings this time of year. It's just kind of my big thing is get through this week by doing getting through these weeks by doing the right things and keep your injuries to a minimum. You know, so that way you're ready and you're healthy. And Last couple for you. We uh, talked about Mark Stone as a player. What have you kind of figured out about him as a person so far? I think people are clamoring to know who is Mark Stone. You know what? He's just your small town Manitoba kid, right? He's, He's, uh, I actually got to play some golf with him yesterday to pick his brain. I, I think I did most of the talking, but that's <laughs> to be expected. He's great. We had a lot of fun. It was, uh, you get to know a little bit more about who he is. And he's a quieter guy, but likes to, except for when he scores, right? <laughs> he gets it off, he's super fired up, which I love, which I love about him. I think that's, that energy is awesome. I'm a big energy guy, so that's good. And I just think that he's one heck of a golfer. Holy. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, and it's not close. I'm an okay golfer. I can play well in spurts, and I can play really bad in spurts. He doesn't really have that play bad in spurts. <laughs> so, I mean, it's only one round, but you can tell the how the guy plays. It was good. It was good to get out yesterday too. The other guy, listen, he's the quietest guy I've seen around here. Who is Zikov? Like, who is that guy? Do you know him yet? <laughs> I do. I I've gotten to dinner with him quite a few times on the road. He's actually quite a character. Yes, he. Uh, once you get him to open up, and uh, you know, he's he's actually got quite a few things to say. And he's a 
he's a good kid. He, you know, he's a kid that wants to work hard and does the things the right way upstairs and you know off the ice. It's tough. It's being at his age right now. He's he's handling like a pro right now, and I and that's what it's about. Is you're not going to be able to have everything be perfect for your first couple of years. I mean, I know it. Most of the guys in the room know it. And right now, it's about how you handle it, and how you what kind of attitude you have. And right now, he's handling it. So a lot of good stuff from Nate Schmidt there, including Mark Stone just whipping him on the golf course. And uh, I think the the man of mystery in the locker room is Valentin Zikov, who I don't think people know a whole lot about. He's very quiet, soft-spoken, but I uh, did get to ask Nate there because I think Nate is a – Nate just kind of a an outgoing guy who just I, – I feel like gets to know everyone. So I wanted to see what he thought about Zikov, and he said he, he's actually going to dinner with him, which I assume is just Nate Schmidt talking about and Zikov just staring at him. I don't know. That's my take on it. Yeah, Schmidt riding high, too. His uh, St. Cloud Cathedral Crusaders won the Minnesota State High School Hockey Tournament Class A division. So a lot of things going right in Nate Schmidt's world right now. You never made that far. I did right. not. Uh, I will say uh, my cousins won the Class A state tournament uh, three years. So the Goats clan does have its name in Minnesota Class 1A hockey history. I, I've been there. I saw the tournament. That counts. Yeah, I saw actually a very historic year. I got lucky. I went in 1995. If anybody from Minnesota is listening, they know exactly what I'm talking about. That is the Dave Spihar year. Uh, and I actually even saw Matt Cullen, who still plays for the Penguins. He was a... Uh, Ageless wonder, Matt yeah, Cullen. Yeah, he was a senior for Moorhead, uh, which played Duluth East in that final. So, well, lucky me. A lot of nerding out over Minnesota high school hockey uh, right now on the podcast. That's what, like, that's are, what people You feel left for. out, right? You're just I doing do. your Denver research. Just, <laughs> yes, looking at... If anybody's ever compared Denver and Calgary before. Uh, well, so we did talk to Nate Schmidt there. Just to touch, you know, we talked a lot about the forwards. Defensively, it seems like things are working very well right now. I mean, uh, the, you know, they made some switches to the pairings. Nick Holden, as we said, the odd man out. But I think that creates a lot of competition right now. We saw Colin Miller, uh, you know, scratch for a couple of games. Uh, the guys are fighting for their spot, and that's a good thing to have for a team. Yeah, I think... You know, Colin Miller and Nick Holden both kind of told me recently, you know, the best guys are going to play, and that's what you want for a team. You want there to be competition for those six spots so that when the playoffs roll around, you are playing your best hockey because of that healthy competition internally. And like you said, I think the pairings have really worked. Moving Shea Theodore over to the right side and pairing him with Braden McNabb has done wonders for his game. He's been very, very aggressive, and that's been good to see. It's kind of interesting how Nate Schmidt's game took off when he got paired with Braden McNabb. Shea Theodore's game kind of took off when he got paired with Braden McNabb. I I don't know, common denominator there. Um, Braden McNabb, the uh, blue-collar blue liner that uh, does good work. Check out my feature on him from last week, shameless plug. Yeah, gets no credit. But uh, I'll I'll, I'll say this, too. I think uh, John Merrill has actually played very well. He was somebody... uh, you guys know this. I, I definitely have my uh, my guys that in the press box I mumble about during the game. Um, he was one of them, especially early in the year, where I would definitely mumble about, you know, didn't understand that play or things like that. And I thought, especially for the last month, uh, really, he's played really well. Um, I think he's given them, you know, the one thing that stands out is when he's going well, he's, he's mobile. Um and he can make plays like he made in Tampa with that stretch pass. It's you know he's not going to do it all the time, but he's got that in him. Um, it seems like confidence has been yeah. the biggest thing for him too. Just get him out there and say, "Hey, you're one of our guys. You're playing well. Just go get it." And that has helped him kind of take off. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, as a whole too, I think especially recently, I, I 
you know, a lot of the defense's play has been elevated by Flurry, to be quite honest. Uh, Flurry's played really well, you know. Thought, thought that Vancouver game was a hard game for everybody just because it was over in the first period and you got 40 minutes still to play. Um, but he's, you know, going into that game and even that game too, he's played really well. I think it'll be interesting to see how they manage his rest and things like that, but I thought just giving him a couple days, you can just see it. You can see how much more refreshed he gets with just, you know, after taking a practice off, having a game off, um, you know, having a couple days off, whatever it might be, they, you know, far be it from me to question anything that Dave Pryor does, but I just still think it's one of the things going down the stretch here is to just keep finding ways to get him rest, keep finding ways to get Malcolm Subban some confidence and get him in some good spots and not to go belabor a point from earlier but I guess maybe that's why I just questioned you know why he didn't play against Vancouver and why Flurry didn't play against Calgary but you know it's done and dusted at this point so on we go there you go a couple days off as we mentioned and then off to Dallas a couple more trips coming up two big showdowns with San Jose over the last month of the season and we are gearing up uh, for the playoffs here at the Golden Edge podcast we'll be with you each and every week, thank you guys for listening. Thanks to Nate Schmidt for sitting down with us and giving us some good insight into what's going on in the locker room. Uh, thanks also to the Golden Knights and McKenzie River Pizza for having us out here. Great, great time. We are done for this week. Thank you guys for listening again. Check it out. Subscribe, comment, like, share. Do all of those things wherever you get your podcast. We really appreciate you guys listening and the feedback on Twitter, emails, everywhere else. We will talk to you again very soon. For Dave Shane, Ben Goats, Adam Hill, we will talk to you again very soon with the Golden Edge Podcast. Check out our videos as well, ReviewJournal.com. It's like spread out and kind of flat. <laughs>